So I'm just going to uh, read for us now um, before John comes up. I should say it's great to have John back this morning um, and uh, just trust that he has uh, been rested over the last, the last few months uh, in sabbatical uh, as he comes back to, uh, to preach this this morning uh, and speak to us. It's great to have him back again uh, today. So we're going to be uh, reading this morning from John chapter 18, uh, verse 1 to 11. It uh, should be on the screen if the screen is going again. It is, yep, good stuff. Um, so we're just going to follow through. If you have a Bible, uh, just follow along with me. Uh, John chapter 18, 1 through to 11. And this is God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you give me, I have, not, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the, the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Amen. Yep, we're good now. Uh, morning, how are we? Brilliant. Uh, good to see you too. Uh, but no, it's good to be back with you this morning. Karis, I had to have a wee chuckle there because is she gone? She's gone. So when she said, like, you know, Exodus team, whatever is on, on Instagram, and the link's in the bio, half of you did not have it, Lou. <laughs> not a notion what she was saying. The bio, you were thinking of a carpenter song. <laughs> but anyway, right, good to be back. We are in John 18, looking at Judas. Uh, before we come to that, I just want to take a moment to pray uh, and focus our attention on God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it speaks to us. You have spoken. You have not held back. You have revealed what you want us to know through your Word. And so, Father, I pray now as we open up your Word that you will speak. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict, you would convince and you would do what you want to with us this morning. Help us to be open to your movement and to your leading. Father, we love you. Son, Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. So in chapter 12 of John, I'm going back a little bit. Chapter 12, uh, verse 23, Jesus says this, The hour is come. In chapter 13, on the Thursday night, he started out that, that evening with the disciples. 
in the upper room in verse 1, he says that his hour has come. Chapter 17, which you looked at, I think, a few weeks ago, again, this statement saying that Jesus' hour had come. What is this hour? What is this hour? A few weeks back in our Connect group, we had a lot of chat about this and what this hour was and what it wasn't and what it could be, and, and, and we chatted back and forth about that. But what this hour is, is when Jesus completes His work. The hour that Jesus speaks of is when He completes the work for which He has been sent. It's not a literal 60-minute hour. It is a period of time. It begins where we are now. It begins with the arrest. It goes through to the cross. It goes through then to the resurrection. It goes to the ascension and eventually the exaltation. And then it, it continues with that period of about, over a period of about six weeks until Jesus returns to the Father. That's what the R is. But what we come to today and what we'll be looking at uh, over the next few weeks just in our own personal lives as you read the Scriptures, I'm sure, and as you think about the time as we approach Easter, is this very dark, gloomy, just tragic part of the story. What has happened up until this point is that Jesus has been verbally criticized. He's had people stalk Him, wanting to kill Him. They want Him dead. But up until this point, nobody has actually laid a hand on Him. Nobody has actually touched Him. Nobody has actually grabbed Him and taken Him away up until this point. Because it was not yet His hour. And here we are, beginning in the garden where He's going to be arrested. This hour has begun. And this hour is by God's appointment. It's not haphazard. It's not, hasn't caught him off guard. It's, it, it is by his appointment. Jesus will die at this Passover time as God's true Passover lamb. And so rightly so, as we go over the next couple of weeks and as we approach Easter, we think of the, the darkness, we think of the horrific situation that Jesus will walk into, the agony, the loneliness, the betrayal, the arrest, the injustice, the torture, the execution. But John wants us to be sure of one thing. Jesus is no victim. Jesus is no victim. This is Him accomplishing what the Father has sent Him to do. He's not a victim. We remember the purpose of John writing this gospel. Uh, he gives it at the end in chapter 20 and verse 31. He says this, These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in that you will have life in His name. That's His purpose for writing. His purpose is not to show us Jesus as some sort of victim. His purpose is to tell us who Jesus is so that He may be revealed and that we may, be, we may believe in Him and have life. That's the purpose. And so what on the, on the surface looks the blackest, darkest part of time that Jesus has endured so far is Him coming to this hour and He is going to accomplish what the Father sent Him to do. And so, this passage today, chapter 18, verse 1 to 11, I want to split it in three sections. 
three sections, and hopefully that'll, that'll make it clear for us. And the first section is this, if you're, if you're a note taker, is this, the determination of Jesus. The determination of Jesus. Let's look and see just this determination, this resolve, this courage that Jesus has. Back to verse 1, and I'll read the verse for you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went, and, and I used actually for my, for my preaching translation, I actually went to the King James. I know that'll suit some of you King James only people, which there are none of in here. But uh, I, I thought the King James put it better, phrased it better than the ESV when it said this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his, disciple, with his disciples over the ravine to the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now, Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas, then having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. You see this divine resolve, this courage, this determination to go and get the work done. Jesus doesn't take a back step. He moves towards his own death. He's undaunted, unfazed, unhesitating. He is courageous in moving towards his death. And this courage is far beyond someone simply dying for a good cause. Because that happens all the time. That happens in our world today. Think about the world that we live in today. What's happening in our world today. It never ceases to amaze me. It never ceases to blow my mind when I turn on the news and you have Ukrainian citizens who are saying that they are going to stay to fight the oppressor with every chance that they will be killed. That's courage. Knowing that they are going to face possible death, they are willing to stay, willing to fight, willing to stay and, and, and take whatever the consequences are. But this is not the same. This is not the same. Jesus is not just going to face a physical death. Jesus is on his way to take a death that will absorb the wrath of God for us all. Just think about that. A physical death is, is bad enough, but, but this death is much worse than that in the fact that he is going to take the wrath of God. All of God's wrath for sin is being poured out on Christ on the cross, and he is perfect, and he is spotless, and he is just, and he is taking that for us. And God will unleash His wrath on Christ. The pure, spotless, eternally sinless Son of God. And what does Jesus do? Goes straight toward it. He is totally pure, totally sinless, and He is about to be pounded by the fury of God. And what does he do? He goes forth. When he had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples. 
over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. They had been with him all evening. This is Friday in the morning in the darkness. They had been with him since Thursday. They had probably been with him all week, celebrating Passover together. They're still with him. They follow him out of the upper room earlier in the evening. He teaches them. He prays with them. He prays for them. We see his prayer in John 17. And they begin to walk, and they head towards this garden in the Mount of Olives, a familiar place. And there's a, there's a small, significant detail in which we could just rush over very, very quickly. And it's this. It's very, very simple. He went forth with his disciples across the brook Kidron. Now, that's, we just read over that and we think that's geographical and we think that's just somewhere that he, he just crossed this wee brook and they're trying to fill us in on the, what it might look like. But there's massive significance in this little brook. Up in the temple, through that day, through this day and the next day, there was a massacre of the Passover lamb. All the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. And what happened was that their blood was running down the altar like a river. It would run into channels, and those channels would take the blood out of the back of the temple, down the temple mount, down the temple slope, and into what? The Kidron. Into this little brook. And so when Jesus and his disciples crossed this brook, the Kidron is running red with all the blood of the lambs coming from the temple. We don't know, we don't have a record of how many lambs were killed on this occasion, but we do have a record, there is records of how many lambs were slaughtered at Passover 30 years later to this. I would love to do, I would love to do how many do you think? How, you know what you think? Well, we don't have time. Um, so, the amount of lambs that were slaughtered at Passover 30 years after this event was this number, 256,000. Can you imagine the blood that would be running out of the temple into this small stream? It would have been like simply a river of blood. And Jesus passes over this river on his way to his own sacrifice where his blood would be shed. The imagery is absolutely mind-blowing, and no doubt Jesus had that in his head as he crossed this river. Now, all that to say this, Jesus has an unwavering determination to get the job done. Nothing is going to distract from it. Nothing is going to deter him from it. He is on his way to the appointed hour where he will be slaughtered, slain for what? For the sins of the world. And he's going to do it. And he does it so that we would know forgiveness. And that we would know what it is to have a right relationship with God. Just as John's purpose in writing the gospel was to convince us of who Jesus is and to show us who Jesus is. Jesus' purpose in going to the cross was so that we could have forgiveness. And he was going to complete that task. And he did complete that task. 
But what does that mean for us now? What does the determination of Jesus mean for you and I right now? Well, it means this. It means, and the Bible says this, that the work that Christ has begun in you, He will what? He will finish it. You don't need to doubt. You don't need to second guess. You don't need to, to think about whether He's going to finish it or not. He is determined to make you into the image of Himself and present you spotless before the Father, and He will do it. He is determined to do it, just as He was determined to go to the cross. He is determined to finish the good work that He has begun in you. Jesus' determination. That's the first thing. Second thing we see then we move into, and this is God has a sense of humor, definitely, because John will put you back on whatever, Sunday the 3rd of April, and will make you talk about Judas. That's, that's good. Thank you for the easy, just easy return. One of the most difficult things in Scripture, what, no doubt, is the story of Judas. How does it happen? What happens? What, what's going on here? It is one of the most difficult stories in Scripture. And so, the second point, if you've taken notes, the first point is this, the determination of Jesus. The second point is the failure of Judas. The failure of Judas. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So, Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And I want to show us just a couple of things from these verses, and then I want to show us some things that we can learn from Judas. And the first thing is this. It's clear where G that Judas knew where Jesus would be. Why? Because he had been with him there many times before. This is somewhere where the disciples and Jesus would have went. They would have went to pray. They'd have went to have fellowship together. They'd have went to just to meet and be with one another. Judas knew where Jesus would be because he had been with him there before. And that is massively significant, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the second thing is this. Look at what Judas actually does. Look at what he does. He brings an army. He brings an army to arrest a carpenter and 11 other ragtag bunch of people who wouldn't have been up to much. He brings an army. We're told in the, in the, in the King James Version that it was a cohort of the Roman soldiers. And so a cohort is at least 200 soldiers. 200, plus other temple people, plus religious leaders, 200 they bring to arrest Jesus, the carpenter, and a couple of other of his mates. Overkill much. But here's the thing. The reality is this. If Jesus didn't want to be arrested, Jesus wouldn't be arrested. If Jesus didn't want to be arrested, Jesus wouldn't have been arrested. It wouldn't have mattered they would have brought 10,000 soldiers. If Christ Jesus did not want to go with them that night, He wouldn't have went with them. And that, well, that was just simply the way it would have been. How do I know this? John 10, 18. No one, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again this charge I have received from my Father. So it wouldn't have mattered 
they'd have brought 10,000. Unless Jesus was going to give himself up and go with them, it wouldn't have happened. And so he does. He goes with them. But what do we learn? What do we learn from Judas? What do we learn from Judas? And, and I think there's some takeaways here from his life that can help us avoid the same mistakes. What do we learn? First thing is this, and I had a lot of help here from the Gospel Coalition, so thanks to them for this. But what do we learn from him? We learn this. Judas made a commitment to Jesus. Judas made a commitment to Jesus. There is no reason to think for us to think anything else. Judas was the same as the other disciples. He had given up everything, uh, apparently, to follow Jesus. Like the rest of the disciples, he left everything to follow Jesus. Judas, Judas was actively involved in ministry. So when Jesus speaks to the disciples and says, I'm going to give you all authority over demons, I'm going to give you uh, you can go and heal people. There's no reason that we should doubt that Judas was not included in that number and that he was active in ministry. When he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal in Luke 9, we th there's no reason to doubt that Judas was part of that number. And so here's the crux. Judas was a gospel minister. He's part of the group. He's part of the group that were given the gift of healing. He's part of the group that were given the, the gift to exercise authority over demons. So what do we learn? We learn this. Active involvement in ministry is a good and wonderful thing, but it is no guarantee or no proof of actual spiritual life. It is a good thing, it is a wonderful thing, but it is no proof or no guarantee of actual spiritual life. Someone can look the part. Someone can say the right things. Someone can fit in with a group. Someone can come to church. Someone can look as if they are legit and there be no spiritual life. We need to, as 1 Corinthians says, examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves and see if we're following Jesus. Second thing, that was the commitment that he made. The second thing is this, the opportunity that he was given. Think about this. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. And I, mean, I don't mean like just sporadically, all the time. Spent three years in the presence of the Savior. He got to witness the greatest life ever lived, a life of perfection. Judas got to see that up close. You can't have a better model of faith than Jesus or a better environment to be disciple than actually, literally, physically walking with Jesus. He witnessed it all. He witnessed the teaching he witnessed the Sermon on the Mount. He witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. No doubt he was going around giving out the bread and the fish and seeing it multiplied and was like, what's going on here? All of that. He witnessed it all. was part of it all. Had a wonderful opportunity. And the thing is, 
He missed it. Again, opportunity be like to be around the things of God, opportunity to be around the people of God, opportunity to be in the church means little if there's no spiritual life. No one got a better opportunity than Judas. Third thing, the choice he made. First, the commitment he made. Second, the opportunity he was given. Third, the choice he made. Let me be real about this, and let me not sugarcoat it. Satan went after Judas like you wouldn't believe. But the reality is, Satan goes after every follower of Jesus like you wouldn't believe. We read Luke 22, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. John 13, the devil had already put it into his heart, the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. John 13, 27, Satan entered into him. Now, some, some would say, okay, well then Satan was, Satan was going to get him, Satan was going to get him, and that's the way it would be. And, and Judas, poor Judas, had no chance. But what do we know about Judas? What we know about Judas is this, that all along he was stealing out of the money bag of the disciples. All along. And when he kept that secret and didn't confess it and didn't repent of it, what did he do? He left the door open for Satan. And Satan gladly walked in. And so it is with us. So it is with us. If we do not confess our sin and repent of our sin, we leave the door ajar. And Satan gladly walks in. And trust me, he will rack you. He will rack you. If you give him an opportunity. Folks, Satan doesn't get a foothold in the lives of people who are walking in the light with Jesus. So when you hear me say you need to repent of your sin and confess your sin and repent of your sin, please don't hear that I'm saying that everybody needs to hear about it all the day. Right? I don't want to see people running up like afterwards and being like all that crying malarkey because I don't like crying. You know that. But no. What I mean is walk in the light with Christ. Be open about your sin with Christ. Confess your sin to Christ. Repent of your sin to Christ and turn to Him in faith, knowing that He forgives you. Don't give Satan a foothold. And don't give him access. And don't leave the door open. Fourth and finally, what do we learn from Judas? Well, we learn this. He embraced the outcome. Two things happen when you come close to Jesus. Two things, only two things. You either embrace Him or you go further in the opposite direction. It's that simple. There's no middle ground with this. You see it, you see it all the time. For example, Judas here, was the door was left ajar, Satan entered, and he just went with it and drifted and walked away from Jesus. 
So he had a choice to make, and that was the choice that he made. There's no middle ground. Going back to the very first point I made, Judas knew where to find Jesus. Jesus took his disciples there many times to pray. And Jesus, being fully God and fully human, knew the pain of what it was to be betrayed by someone he considered a friend. And unfortunately, the reality is things haven't changed. Satan hasn't changed his tactics. Nothing changes. The Bible, Proverbs, actually says that, funnily enough. There's nothing new under the sun. Satan hasn't changed his tactics. And unfortunately, Satan still uses people close to God's children who would wound and betray them. And maybe that's your story. Maybe that is part of your story, that you have been wounded or betrayed by someone who has been really, really close to you. And you can, you can identify with Christ in this. And what I want to say to you, and I, I have no other encouragement apart from this, is this, you are in good company. You're in good company. And Jesus knows the reality of what it's like. That is the failure of Judas. First, the commitment of Jesus, the determination of Jesus, the second, the failure of Judas, and finally, Jesus' protection. Jesus' protection. Let me move, I'll read verse 4 to 10 very quickly. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen, came forward and said to him, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, he drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let them go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it out and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. And what we see here is Jesus protecting his disciples to the point where not one of them will be lost. And, and folks, I can't, I can't, I don't have the words, I don't have, the words don't exist in the English language. I don't certainly have the vocabulary to do it justice. But you, as a follower of Christ, could not hear, you couldn't hear any more good news this morning that Jesus will protect you and make sure that you're not lost. There's, there's no better news than that this morning. And let me say, I said in the first service, when I say good news, and it's good news, four months away has not helped your bakes at all. It is good news. That's the best news that you could hear this morning, that Jesus will protect you to the extent where He will not let you go. He will not let you go. He didn't allow the, the disciples to be arrested because He knew that that would be too much for them, and there would be every chance that they would walk away. So He didn't allow that to happen. He kept them. I think this is possibly the greatest illustration of the great high priest protecting his weak, weak flock. They're not going to be arrested. He wouldn't allow it. 
Jesus protects us more than we'll ever know. Jesus protects us more than we'll ever know. You have no idea how much stupidity you could get into if you weren't protected by Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about this when it comes to temptations. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way to escape that you may be able to endure it. That's exactly what He's doing here with the disciples. That's exactly what He's doing. He's protecting them from themselves. And He protects us more than we'll ever know. The disciples were being protected in such a way that they were being given an escape. Folks, the reason, the reason you get to heaven if you're a follower of Christ is not just because God says so, but because God sees to it. Not just because He says so, but because He sees to it. Jesus, He's active in it. Jesus is making certain that not one that the Father has given Him will be lost. And He's doing that with you if you're a follower of Christ, if you're genuinely in Christ. That's what He's doing. He is protecting you. He is praying for you. He is making sure that you'll not be lost. Now, the question you should be asking at this point you're probably not, but should be, is this. Can someone lose their salvation, John? Or is that what you're saying? Are you saying that someone can lose their salvation? Well, here's the answer. Drum roll. There's no drums. Here's the answer. The answer is an astounding yes. Only God disallows it. given over to yourself, given over to myself, I would walk away in a heartbeat. Do you agree? Do you know that of yourself? No? Nobody in that with me? No? No, not one, because you're all looking blank as get out. Like, given over to myself, I'm walking away. Because do you know what? It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus. Like, there's a really dangerous question. Really dangerous question coming up in here now. Do you want to be here this morning? Do you want to be here this morning? Is there somewhere better that you think you could be right now? And this is a minor, minor example. I'm not looking at you because you'd rather be cycling. That's the truth. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to be consistent. It's hard to, to be a disciple. So why do you think you keep doing it? Because He's not letting you go. He's not letting you go. That's what it's all about, folks. He is protecting us. He is keeping us. He is bringing us towards eternity. This teaches us that no matter how weak or how fickle 
or how much we would love to run and scatter, He will not allow it. And that's good news. That is good news. I want to finish this morning by taking us back to that vivid picture of the blood flowing down into the Kidron at the time of Passover. The slaughtering of the lambs was to remind the people of God that He had passed over them, that He had, he had uh, spurred them from killing them. But the reality is this, that the blood of 256,000 lambs could not take away one sin. Not one. And yet the blood, contrast that to the blood that was to flow from Christ's side just a few days later, that would be enough to take away the sin of the world. The Kidron ran red, and it did not accomplish one thing. And yet Christ on the cross accomplished salvation for all those who would believe. We're going to sing a song in the second set, and it sums this up perfectly. It's this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners of whom we are all plunged beneath that flood lose how many of their guilty stains? All. All their guilty stains. Christ was determined to see it through. I want to ask you, do you know the, the reality of sins forgiven this morning? Have you come to Christ? Have you given your life to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you know what it is to walk in forgiveness? For the followers of Christ here, I want to ask you, do you know what it is to walk in the freedom of sins forgiven? I want to pray first, and then I just want to pause for a moment as we, before we lead into communion. So let's, let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we see the determination of the Son clearly. He went forth towards his death. Thank you. Thank you that this was accomplished for us. Father, I pray that you will continue to speak through the Spirit, through your Word, as we consider sacrifice that Jesus made for us through communion. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.